Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be here. I tell you, I was not prepared, especially for the emotion of coming home. I think the last time we were in this church is when Lee and I were engaged, and we had come here for a wedding shower. And at that point, I had already uh, finished my bachelor's and was well into graduate school. So, And that was ages ago, it feels like. It's probably been a good 15 years. Um, but how comforting it was to walk in and see the same pink walls that my brother and I debated. He would say white, I would say pink all my life. The same carpet, the same smells, the same hugs. How refreshing and wonderful um, this has been. It's... Woo, I was not ready for the emotion, for sure. Um, um, I've spoken a lot on this topic in many uh, different arenas. God has just been so gracious and good to give Lee and I a platform. We live in uh, Mebane, and it's only a short trip to Chapel Hill and Duke. And because of the type of leukemia that I had, it has opened us up to the medical world as well. And as you know, there's not a lot of faith in the medical world, and... Um, They'd like to attribute our faith to happiness and positivity, and so I just don't get to speak a lot about truly what healed me, um, and it was just God's gifts through science, of course, but we know God was over that, and so um, I'm just very excited to be here. Um, so, yeah, I remember the Children's Church. I think that's so cool that you're still doing that. Um, I was part of Children's Church, too, and I'm sad I didn't get any candy this morning, but um, how many times we've walked, I walked up and down this aisle. My grandmother was Frances Barnwell. If you know me as a child, I was Mandy Lunsford. Um, for some reason, when I went to high school, I thought I would be more professional and call myself Amanda. I don't know why, but that was my choice then. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, one thing I learned and the gift my grandmother gave me was a heart of servitude. If we were not here serving, I was at her house serving. Every blessed penny you donated all those years for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, wagons upon wagons, I rolled back in her kitchen floor, um, helping her dress in Chinese costume for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, G Girls in Action, GAs, Actines, Handbell Choir, which I'm still intimidated by. I was always afraid I would ring my bell at the wrong time, so a lot of intimidation there. And so um, youth choir mission trips, um, one of the most pivotal points in my life was a trip to Matamoros, and I see some familiar, familiar faces. Um, what a blessing um, that was. Um, that, was a, that was a time that I got to witness faithfulness of people I had looked up to, and it was a radical point. We got to live out some radical faith on that trip, and we just saw God provide in miraculous ways. Um, and I was only 14, but as you know, when you're in your teens, a lot of things that happen really change your view on life and the course of life, and how blessed was I to be a part of this, really. Um, so all of this, all of your sacrifice and your service has worked in my life to put me where I am now, and it is certainly not like I planned when I went to Appalachian. I was going to be a speech-language pathologist. Um, I, did, I realized quickly I was not cut out for that. I attended one swallow study and looked in someone's ear, and I said, medical life is not for me. This is gross. This is for someone else. And I kind of felt lost. But I had also joined a ministry at Appalachian called Campus Crusade for Christ. And in true servitude fashion, just like my grandmother had trained me and you had trained me well here, I jumped in head first 
and met a young man by Josh Hayes, <laughs> believe it or not, and um, he was my brother in Christ. Um, I was like the bossy older sister, and he was like the annoying little brother that just would not go away, <laughs> but we stuck together like glue, and um, it just developed a friendship, and he was, he was like my brother for several years, and um, actually, if you don't know this, uh, we would travel, and we would do worship services and youth retreats and that sort of thing. And a little side note, he asked me to go and be a counselor for girls back at his home church. And it just so happens that Lee Davis was the intern, the youth intern there. And that is how I met my husband. So I have a lot of things to thank this man for down here because um, I love my husband and I got a good one. And that was, you know, who would have thought that me volunteering for a youth ministry would have set the course to work out, God work out his faithfulness in the gifts that he has um, in time. It's, it's mind-boggling to me how well God loves us and how detailed he is. Those, those fine little, you know, there was the day before we went to this retreat, I thought about not going. I wasn't feeling that good. I've been traveling for weekends and weekends in a row. We had extra people volunteer. They didn't really need me. But for some reason, God pricked on my heart to go. And, um, and it's amazing, even... Now, some of those girls I counseled on that weekend have now moved towns to join us in our church, and we just sparked some true, great relationships in that one weekend, and of course, my future husband. Um, so after I left Appalachian, I went to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was getting my master's in biblical counseling, and at this time, there were not very many women on the campus at all. Um, we were engaged. We were not yet married, and um, I loved it. I, I realized speech-language pathology was not my call. It was to continue in the ministry, and I found a love of the Word of God. I dove in deep. I was challenged, and um, a lot of the things I had learned here were coming to life, and I was applying it as an adult, and I just loved it, and I love the aspect of counseling people. You learn, um, especially at Appalachian and secular universities, science and psychology is the way and what they fail to not recognize is God is the one who orchestrated psychology. He is the source of truth in life. Amen. And psychological principles are great applied through the lens of Scripture and through the Word of God. And I found it, and I loved it, and I fell in, I fell in love with it. And um, Lee and I were married during graduate school. And then Josh went to college there, too, but we had already moved off. Um, you know, all the, all the rolling of pennies in my life and... All the Annie Armstrong Easter offerings really helped out. What I did not realize was going to happen is God was calling us to the North American Mission Board, and we became church planters. I always thought that I would be like the missionaries I met down in the fellowship hall, and maybe I would travel the world, and that's how I was going to serve God. I wasn't even sure at Appalachian that marriage was even in my future. It wasn't really a priority for me at that point. Um, and I never knew, I never realized that he was going to call me right here to North Carolina, just a little down the road. And so Elijah was an infant, and we were living in Durham at the time. Elijah, my son's here. He's 13 now. And we, uh, I quit my job. We packed up all of our belongings, and we moved into a studio apartment in Mebane. Now, I do not rec- recommend apartment living to anyone, first of all, much less a studio apartment with a baby. But that's where we started. And um, we got to know the people of Mebane. And we now have a um, pretty large and thriving church in Mebane. In fact, um, Lee and I are stepping out. We're going to plant another church later this year. We're going to begin planting another church because Mebane was a community of about 8,000 people, and it's approaching 30,000. So it's just a big um, area of growth. 
and there's only about three healthy churches in the area. So that's just kind of where we are now. But in the midst of all of this, um, I was 33. I am 36 now, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> and um, I was 33 years old. We had Elijah, who was eight, then, nine, and Lydia, who's down here with little Josie, who's made a fast friend last night um, at the Hayes home. She was about, she was a year old. And about July of 2014, we were on a mission trip. Lee and I were helping train foreign missionaries in Germany. And um, so we were there to give them a reprieve and just to bless them and give them some training through the IMB. And I started hearing a heartbeat in my ear. Well, that, you know, you're congested, allergies, you're in a new environment, that kind of thing. So we went down to the, the um, marketplace and I got their version of Zyrtec and Allegra and the heartbeat just never went away, never went away. So I come home, and I go to the urgent care several times, my doctor several times, and they said, look, you're going to have to go to an ENT. There's no blockage. You have no sinus infection. We don't know what's going on. And I said, my heartbeat, hearing my heartbeat is just absolutely driving me crazy. And this went on for several months. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to find my notes. Um, so I, it, we were... We had just finished flipping a house, and we were getting ready to move to the house we wanted to be in forever, which we are now, and I just noticed I was tired. I wasn't, I'm really good at laying floors. I love construction work, and I was not able to go as fast as I was. We were finishing up the final details, and I would get dizzy climbing a ladder. I didn't understand what was going on. We're packing boxes, and then um, at one point, Lee took out a tape measure. He said, what did you do? And on my side was a 14-inch bruise, and it didn't go away for three or four weeks. It stayed, you know, as black as night and purple and blue, and um, it was a scary time, and, and I'm very type A, and I'm a very determined person, and I just push on. It's fine. I was probably clumsy. Move on. Move on. I was so stubborn. I fought, you know, these thoughts. Uh, you know, I was like, it's probably low iron. I need a vitamin, so I started taking iron vitamins, and well into November. And then um, I started noticing, like, brushing my teeth would not go as clean as you would like for it to go. And um, I'd have bleeding gums that wouldn't stop. And so I go to one doctor, and they pulled labs. They lost my CBC. Um, that was right before Thanksgiving of 2014. And um, I thought no news was good news, and she didn't realize it was lost. And so we go all the way into um, December. And uh, December 22nd, I already had three... Uh, because flu season was so rampant at this time, I already had three doctors cancel appointments in the weeks before. December 22nd, we live, we live in another fixer-upper, and our living room is tiny. It will be our future entryway. When I say tiny, it's smaller than this stage. And, um, and I could not walk across our living room without having to stop and catch my breath. And it scared my husband. I kept trying to excuse it, and he said, I'm sick of the excuses. Well, it just so happens, the doctor's office calls and says, Oh, Mrs. Davis, I'm so sorry. Um, in fact, this doctor has also gotten the flu. We're going to have to reschedule your appointment. And Lee grabs the phone in his very protective way and demands an appointment that day. And they had written down that I was supposed to have a physical. Now, I don't know why God orchestrated things the way he did, because I was sick with leukemia back in July. Um, from what I've been told, me hearing my heartbeat when you have a lessened blood supply, your brain is smart enough to send blood in the most vital places. So I was hearing my heart struggle to get enough blood to send through my body to make me live. Um, six months with the type of leukemia I have is um, unheard of. Um, it's, it's now a very good prognosis, but just back as early as 2012, 
it was a very poor prognosis. It was the most deadly and the most aggressive leukemia. They could not keep patients alive long enough to run tests to figure out truly how they could best be treated. But in God's great providence, in just three months before I was sent to Duke, on December 22nd, they got me in. They, they managed to find a way to fit me in after Lee got on that phone, and they, they pulled my labs. And a um, little funny side story. Have you ever, don't ever go to bed mad at your husband if you can help it. But I went to bed mad at my husband December 22nd. I'd gone through the um, doctor's office. I was scared. I was a reactionary, and it was angry. And I was so, we had just moved into that house. I, I was frustrated with myself that I couldn't unpack the boxes and that sort of thing in a timely manner, and we weren't settled, and I wanted so bad to have a great first Christmas in our new home, and our tree, we have a tradition, a mountain tradition that I enforce upon my family. We come up to the mountains, I get a tree with a root ball, we take it all the way back to Mebbin, and I plant it. Well, that tree was sitting outside, and um, that's what I did when I grew up, and we'd have staggered trees in our front yard, and it was such a good memory, but this tree needed to come in, and we weren't ready. Boxes were everywhere. I was frustrated, and I wanted to blame him. Well, this is God's, when I talk about God loving you in the details, this is a great detail that saved my life. I went to bed angry at my husband. However, my phone has a setting. After 8.30, if you've ever, you got a lot of you know, if you've ever been in the ministry, a lot of times your phone rings off the hook. Things come up, and I had not been feeling well. He was on vacation, so I turned my phone on silent. The only way my phone would ring or vibrate or make a noise at all, it's like a sleeping mode, is if he texted or called me. So I go to bed at 7.30, I think it was. And at 10.30, my phone goes off, and it wakes me up. I'm a light sleeper, and Lee had texted me. He and Elijah had stayed up, and they put up the Christmas tree. They brought it in and even decorated it, and he wanted to surprise me. So it woke me up, and I look at it. Of course, I'm you know, tuck my tail between my legs and apologetic because I was so angry with him. But I saw that I'd missed 11 calls. And they were from unknown numbers. And so I go and I had um, yeah, 11 calls, seven voicemails. And I listened to the first voicemail and it's my doctor who I know pretty well. And she says, Amanda, call me now. Call me. This is Dr. Ingledew. Call me back. I need you to call me. About 30 seconds later, she called again. I really need you to pick up, Amanda. This is, this is dire. I need you to pick up. I need you to call me. And so I just kept going through voicemails. And so I screamed for Lee. And he comes in. The kids are asleep. And um, I call her back. And she actually called me from her home number. And um, she said, so, Amanda, when you go to the hospital, where do you normally go? And I was like, well, anyone you tell me to. The good thing about where we live is we have lots of big hospitals to choose from. And she said, well, Amanda, I want you to go to Duke. And I want you to go to Big Duke because Duke owns several in the area. And she said, you need to have the smartest minds behind what I'm seeing. I said, well, what are you seeing? Still thinking I need an iron. Um, she said, uh, I'm not going to tell you. And I didn't put it in your charts. She said, I'm not releasing it to you. She said, because I know you and you're going to Google uh, things that I'm seeing. And she said, you don't need that right now. She said, and she knows me well enough. She said, can your mother-in-law who lives in town be at your house within 10 minutes? I said, well, I have to call her. She said, if she doesn't wake up, call 911 and let her have an ambulance Take you to Duke so your husband can stay with the kids. Okay. Now, remember back when I said I realized I wasn't called to the medical field? God blessed my ignorance. I said, man, I must really need iron. <laughs> and so we packed our bags. My mother-in-law rushed over there. She had been concerned. She'd been part of the move. She had seen my decline. And um, we took off to the hospital. And um, they rush in. And 
again, God bless my ignorance. I, I give him my name, and she starts screaming, direct admit, direct admit. And she's yelling, and people are coming out. And I look at Lee, and I go, wow, something must have popped up. Someone must be really sick. Still not realizing they were talking about me, and they usher me back. And little did I know I was trauma one, which is the highest level of trauma you can get. And I was very near death. Now, if there are medical personnel in here, just to give you um, an example, a normal hemoglobin is in like the 13 range. I was 3.7. 3.7. My white blood cell count was a 0.8. Um, my red point, my red cell count was a 1.2. That didn't mean a hill of beans to me at all. Whenever I was admitted and saw those numbers, I, for all I knew, they were great. But um, apparently, my, the doctor who admitted me in the ER said he had never seen someone alive with a blood count that low. And um, so they were, had blood, lots of buzzing. Lee, the, and if you've ever been a caretaker, I sympathize with you because not only during my time of sickness, I watched my husband decline too. Um, that was hard. <laughs> but he could hear the buzz and he could hear the fears and the urgency and the doctors. You know, my doctor was in there pressing on my legs, you know, and I'm seeing like blue thumbprints going up and down my leg. And he's talking to me about traveling. I like to travel. He likes to travel. I had no idea what was going on. That night, I um, received seven bags of blood and three bags of platelets. And um, as the days unfolded over Christmas, which was a very hard and sad time, I can't even go there because that was just so traumatic, not being at home with my children. But um, labs were slowed down, and I had a couple of failed bone marrow biopsies. It's a lot of fun. It's where they drill and with a drill into your hip and uh, pull out cores. But um, they couldn't find enough bone marrow to test me. And finally, five days, and for Duke, that's a long time, uh, they were able to diagnose me with this leukemia. They came in and they told me, and I said, are you sure you have the right person? <laughs> You're not supposed to be in here telling me this news right now. I'm 33. I have an 18-month-old daughter, a 9-year-old little boy who's depending on me. My husband and I had built a thriving counseling ministry. People needed me. I can't be sick right now. This certainly can't be God's plan, right? I'm serving him. And it absolutely was. Um, they whisked me up to the ninth level. And as a nurse has told me, the higher you go in Duke, the worse health you are. And I was in the penthouse suite. I had a view of the life flight helicopter. Um, there is no higher. And I was right by the nurse's station. And within an hour, they started chemo. Um, Duke had just gotten clearance to start treating my leukemia with two drugs called arsenic and um, Atra, which is an acid form of vitamin A. I would require three chemo treatments a day, seven days a week, until I was in remission, and they said it would probably take 40 days. By the way, it's flu season. I'm sorry to tell you, you cannot have visitors. You cannot see your family. And all those flowers people had sent have been put in the trash because your immune system is too weak to, for the possibility of bacteria on those flowers. Um, so it was devastating. It was a cold, dark room. Lee was still with me. And those first few days were just absolutely devastating. Everything I loved. And I, I do struggle with idolizing my family. I love my family. It would have been stripped away. I had nothing. I didn't even have clothes at this point. Um, a lot of them had been cut um, to try to access veins on me. Um, it just was unreal. I had gone through so many scans. The medical world to me is foreign. I'm ignorant about it. And all I knew was um, the buzz that was going around. Something else, and a lot of you I'm friends with on Facebook. 
and this comes into play in, in just a few minutes, but something you don't know probably is Lee does not have it. I'm not sure he even knows how to sign in. I, his name is on my account just simply because he's a pastor and people like to get a hold of him in different ways. And so if he, I see an email come through, I'll just read it to him so he can reply and, and get with the person. But, um, you know, I, um, I had the blessing of social media. So after, after a few days went by, before I was officially diagnosed, word had gotten out. Someone had seen that I was at Duke. We had not told anyone because we just didn't know what was going on. And um, it got out that I was in Duke. And so people started visiting and praying for me. And then I realized this is not something you need to go through privately. God impressed upon my heart and it was grim. When they gave me my diagnosis, they did not give me much hope. They didn't know if I was low risk or high risk. Um, and high risk is a lot different story than low risk. And um, they did not give me much hope. They just said, if we can get you through the next three days, that's one hurdle. If we can get you through the next two weeks, that's another. And then we'll talk prognosis. Um, that was probably the darkest moment of my life. Um, so I feel, you know... Looking back on that, um, throughout the time in my journals, I reflected so much of, of Moses. I had not studied Moses much before then. I was uh, a lot of my counseling ministry. You rely heavily on New Testament and use Old Testament stories as examples. But Le- Moses was a man who labored and ministered to the Israelites, and he had a closeness with God. And because of his speech impairments, um, he was shy. He was shy to share. He didn't want to, but God used him to negotiate with Pharaoh, you know, to free the Israelites. God takes our inabilities, and he he shines his glory through them, and he uses them to glorify himself and to call people to himself. Um, Moses served the people as their leader, and he served God. And at the time of Moses' death, he was was was, his birthday. He was 120 years old. Um, God told him that his life and ministry were stopping. And... um, Moses had to inform the Israelites and Joshua, who he was serving with and was kind of his apprentice and training him up, that his time was over. And he told them in Deuteronomy 31.8, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And that's true. He went before me to the doctor's office. He went before me to Duke Hospital. He went before me to 9104 in the leukemia room. That was not a surprise to him. When I was shocked by the doctors coming in and revealing all these terrible news, he was not surprised. In fact, he could look down and smile because his faithfulness and his love is so great. I cannot see his plan, but he's already working it out. He knows. And so I would look at Lee, and we had so many questions. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be sick, I'm in the best place to be. I'm an eternal optimist. Um, I'm annoying. I'm so optimistic sometimes. Um, But that's how I was looking at it. And after the doctor left, and before I went upstairs to receive chemo, I looked at him. I said, how do you feel? And he said, I don't know. I said, I don't know either. I want to be scared. I need to be scared. I don't like that they said I couldn't see my kids. I was very angry about that. But, um, you know, I said, God has a plan in this. And at that point, I really thought that I was not going to live past two weeks. I, I, I just had this feeling. 
thank God that was wrong. But um, so I go up there, and when you are in somewhere 40 days, and you are having to be tended to around the clock, those first three days I had to have a 24-hour monitor. So there was a nurse's aide who had to sit there, and about every five to ten minutes she would check my heart because the Atra chemo, the pill, would ca- cause heart attacks. And it also attacks your heart, and so does arsenic. I had not started arsenic yet. I had to get through three days of Atra before they could start arsenic all this technical stuff that we probably need to go into here. But um, I had someone was sitting in my room. Well, you get, I'm not, you know, I'm a friendly person. I like to talk to them. I started getting to know people very well. They would come in for the 12-hour shifts. They spent a lot of that time with me, and I just started making friends. Um, the doc, one of the first doctors on the first rounds, he said, look, I have a secret. He said, um, if you tell your family to go through the tunnel, they can come up and see you. And now under Duke is this long tunnel from the parking lot, all the way up to the elevator shaft. And if you skip that, you can go underneath the welcome area and you can go straight up to rooms without having to get through all the security guards and the secretaries and that kind of thing that will stop you and tell you it's flu season, you can't come. And so he gave us a pass. And so God was so gracious and kind. When other patients weren't able to see their families, I was. And so that was such a blessing because, um, you know, he just, he works in those details. My heart was absolutely breaking, absolutely breaking at this point. Um, God lavished his grace, not only upon my family, but upon Duke and the providers that I had, the nurses I said. Um, He also lavished his grace upon my mother and my mother-in-law. They took shifts. Lee's a very busy man. Sometimes he works 60, 70 hours a week. And, of course, they were gracious and kind with us, and um, he was able to buy a computer and work mobily but my kids needed care. Elijah was in fourth grade at this time. Lydia was 18 months old. Um, she, had, she couldn't understand what was going on. And, and my mom and my mother-in-law were able to rotate weeks and shifts to come and care for my family. And as you can imagine, Lee was not doing very well himself. I kept telling him he needed guys nights. He needed to get away from this and get a break because I was in good hands. I was. I was being cared for very well. Um, um, I don't want to get too off course, but... Um, In that room and alone, which I was alone most days um, because it was very taxing for the kids to come, uh, people were bringing food to our house. Um, I had a life group, so a small group, where we, uh, in our church, we don't have Sunday school rooms. We have a big gathering room, and that's it. And so what we do is we do Sunday school throughout the week at different people's houses, and we call them life groups. But it's the same as Sunday school. And in our life group... um, they came and they provided paper products, toilet paper, Lunchables for the kids. And at that point, I didn't care as long as they had food in their bellies, I was happy, you know. And I mean, just whatever they needed, and it took that weight off of me. Like, God worked through them, and then also, Lee started working from the hospital room a bit. But um, it's taxing to drive 35 minutes in that traffic to duke back and forth. So we finally found, we were fighting to find the balance with each other, and we... It really needed a lot of prayer, and so Lee was getting support through his work and family, and he got to be with my mom and mother-in-law a lot. They would get to come and see me, but all I had in that isolated room, at this point I had not met any other Christians, was Facebook, and a lot of people look down on social media, but I just felt God impressing upon me, you need to reach out. I created you for horizontal relationships. While you're a part of this world, you need to communicate with each other. I can be glorified through Facebook, and you need to walk your faith out with fear and trembling and before people. Don't act like a hero and don't hide. And so I did. And um, what a blessing that was. Um, he used the body of Christ that could not be there 
most of which are in this room right now, to lift me up, um, to give me encouragement. Those, um, it's a real testing of your faith whenever you have these things stripped away and you're faced with the illness and hardship. And it doesn't have to be illness. If you don't know the truths of Scripture, your hope is lost. Thank God I had been trained in Scripture in this room and in those classrooms down those hall, those hallways. Thank God I was trained in seminary. Thank God I have a husband who is edifying and lifts me up. Because when the world doesn't make sense, and it does not make sense in room 9104 at Duke Hospital, you have to rely on the truth. Because we, we are a part of His community, and He is the one who reigns. So I have to trust what He says. I can't trust what the doctors say. I can't trust the opinions. You know, I got some crazy mail. People telling me I needed to drink certain things and stand on my head and God knows what else to make the leukemia go away. You know, or and it, and, and it was a battle of faith. You know, I asked, and I, I don't really ever talk about this, but there was a certain time I said, Lee, what did I do? What did I do in my life that God would smite me with this? He said, you didn't do anything because he took care of everything at the cross. There is no sin in your life, no thing that you've done that has been a, it is a surprise to him. He took care of that on Calvary. He said he is just wanting to use this time in our lives, and we will march forward with faith to glorify him for some way, through some way. We don't know. At that moment in time, I thought, well, I have no idea how God's going to use this because it is not fun. So um, I was going through three chemo treatments a day, seven days a week, and I had a lot of time alone. And so I would journal. I would dig into the scriptures. And that peace that surpasses all understanding. When they would tell me my labs were not looking good. When they'd tell me my cells were not responding to the chemo the way it should and the way they wanted. Um, that peace was there. Because I knew the truth. And because I could literally feel the prayers of his saints. I know I, know I could. I would be encouraged. I'd be like, well, not today. Maybe tomorrow. They'd take my blood every single day. Um, God showed up in Duke, and he gave me the piece. He showed up in Facebook. I printed off every single page and every single comment. My room was filled, and a lot of this was from you guys, with cards and letters. And I remember your words. That's why when I saw you today, oh, man, if I saw you in the hallway, I would just break down crying because I remember what you said. I harped on every word and every letter you wrote because that was what God provided for me to get me through this time. Um, and the memories I had instead of serving with you, um, it was just amazing. And God blessed me. I um, ended up with low-risk leukemia. I only have a 3% chance of it ever coming back. That is why I am subjected to a lot of speeches and studies right now. They want to see because I was one of the first people who benefited from this. I mean, it's, they considered it a cure. And thank God I was on the forefront of this medicine. If, it, if I'd have gone in July or if I'd have gone to a different hospital, it would have only, I would have only had about a 20% of living three months. That is how deadly this leukemia was. Um, so I needed you. I needed you to hold me up. And I know I wrote this on Facebook back then, but it's been a few years. You know, um, when Moses and his people, Joshua and Aaron and her, were in the battle, of Amalek, and they were fighting. The pe Moses had Joshua take out a, a people to go fight the battle against, the, against Amalek. And he said, I'm going to go up on the hill and I'm going to raise my arms. And if you remember in, um, I think it was Exodus 17, um, as long as Moses' arms were raised, the battle was being won by the Israelites. 
but he would grow weak and he would grow tired and his arms would start to come down. And when they started to come down, they would start to lose the battle. That is what my image is of the battle that I faced. Because when I came home after I was in remission, I still had nine more months, five days a week driving to Duke. I just got weekends off. Um, And I was so weak. Um, You know, my little two-year-old daughter would be pulling my hair back for me while I was throwing up in the bathroom. Um, My son would bring me supper in bed because I was too weak to get up and walk to the kitchen and join them for dinner. Um, So when I say that it was a battle, it was devastating. And these are things you want to protect your loved ones from. You don't want them to be there. And a lot of times I would read my letters to you and I would say, we're in such a good place. Look at what God is doing. Look at what he is, how he has worked. And he's still working um, to this day. And you guys were my Aaron and my her because you would lift my arms up in this this battle for my life. And he was faithful and he was kind and he was merciful and gracious through your words. And I just want to thank you for being a vessel for him because um, it was overwhelming. It was more than I could handle. He gives us more than we can handle, guarantee it. And, um, and it's to reveal his glory. And he is so good and he is so loving. And if I had, to, if I had time to write down every blessing I received through this, um, I don't think there's a notebook or a binder big enough to hold it all. He, um, cancer is a terrifying thing and it is a hard thing, but he is so faithful and good. And um, I'm thankful for this opportunity to be here with you, to thank you for that, because I remember this. We're looking at four years ago now, thank God, that I can be here. But not only did he work in you through my childhood, he's working in you throughout the course of the li- this life. And I'm able to take this platform now. In fact, Monday night I'm speaking at Duke Medical School in front of professors and new, um, new uh, residents. Um, I do it every single year. We've gotten a good relationship with Duke. And they, I have a doctor friend who's one of our best friends. He said, Amanda, as soon as you share your faith, you will never be invited again. I've shared my faith. I said, that positivity you rely on in your studies is not positivity. It's Jesus. It is. Because God's faithfulness wasn't just at Duke. It wasn't just in Moses until he died. God's faithfulness continues even through our death. He restores our soul. We are reconciled with him. And he loves us so well, we are reconciled with each other. So these horizontal relationships that we've built and that you and I have built the past 36 years and continue on Facebook through a distance, we will get to heaven and we will see each other and we will know each other. How loving and faithful is that? So even if I would have died, even if I would have been like many people before me that were stricken with this, he would have been faithful because he would have restored me. I would have had a new body and I would have been reunited with him. There is no losing when you are a believer in Christ. And um, I've grown very comfortable with that. And I'm just so thankful that I'm able to see that. And it gives me peace. I just hope there are no wagons full of pennies in heaven that my nanny's going to have me roll. And that's it. <laughs>